0: We'll hear argument now on number 2002-1060, Illinois versus Robert S. Lidster, uh, Mr. Feinerman.
1: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, the Lombard informational checkpoint was designed to find witnesses to a specific known crime. The principal question here is whether the checkpoint is per se invalid under the Fourth Amendment, or whether it's governed by the Brown balancing test. Now the touchstone of the Fourth Amendment is reasonableness which generally is measured by balancing the government interest advanced by a seizure against the intrusion on the individual. And this Court has held that roadway checkpoints, including those that serve a law enforcement purpose, are governed by the balancing factors set forth in Brown versus Texas. Now, in Edmond, an exception was carved for a certain category of law enforcement checkpoints, those that are designed to advance the general interest in crime control. The Court held in Edmond... that crime control checkpoints are not subject to a balancing analysis, but rather are per se invalid. The Illinois Supreme Court in this case held that informational checkpoints, including the Lombard checkpoint here, fall within that general crime control exception. Uh, That was an error. Per se, invalidity under the Fourth Amendment is very strong medicine, it ought to be reserved for exceptional circumstances, and those circumstances —
2: Well, I suppose we'd have to decide here not only whether it was per se invalid, but whether it was reasonable under any other standard.
1: That's correct, Justice And O'Connor.
2: let me ask you, is it often that roadblocks are set up just to get information like this?
1: uh i i would rely on the amicus brief submitted by the Illinois Association of Chiefs of Police and the Major Cities Chiefs Association and they they have informed the court that roadblocks are not used uh frequently rather they're used judiciously uh in order to solve uh, This cert- was
2: a little odd it was a week later
1: it was a week later but there was a very good reason why the checkpoint was set up at that particular place in that particular time there was a fatal hit and run accident at about midnight on a friday night uh, there were no witnesses uh, at, least, at least pedestrian witnesses uh, and the P- lombard police reasonably concluded that because people's driving habits or at least some people's driving habits might be regular that uh, some of the drivers that were there on the night in question would also be driving the same route at the same time at the same place one week later uh, and we want
3: you you said that they had to be used judiciously and that, that's a good word but um, are, are, do our precedents in this area generally say well we defer to the good judgment of the police they won't use them too often the Illinois Supreme Court said, oh, if we allow this, we're going to have roadblocks every other, every day, every other street. And in part, that's hyperbole. But on the other hand, uh, it does caution us that there should be some limiting principle. And I just don't know if our precedents would support us in adopting your word, oh, if it's used judiciously.
1: Well, it's used judiciously for, for a number of reasons. One are the resource limitations. These kinds of roadblocks are very resource intensive. Uh, there's also the prudential limits that the police departments place upon themselves. Uh, they don't want to appear too intrusive uh, to the public, and this is a, a minor inconvenience. What if that
4: isn't enough? What if they, uh, they're they squandering their resources? You have a, a, a dumb police chief who's, uh, who's using uh, most of his resources in fruitless uh, roadblocks. What do we do then?
1: Then the courts step in and apply the Brown reasonableness hmm. factor. Well, what,
4: wh- that's what I'm asking. What makes this reasonable that wouldn't make other ones reasonable? Uh, what would be unreasonable? A, a, a general roadblock asking about general crime? You know, sir, have you seen any crime committed in the last uh, six months? That that would be
1: closer, that would be closer to the situation that was presented in Edmond, although it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't present one of the hallmarks of what we believe is a general crime control roadblock, which is that, uh, it's the goal of the police to incriminate the motorist as opposed to simply seek information. No, it wouldn't.
4: It wouldn't come within that, but you think that that would, would be invalid, even though you would support these informational roadblocks uh, in some circumstances.
1: That, that question, of course, isn't presented here, uh, but I, I, no I understand. But it, our, I, I suppose we would say that such roadblocks should not be declared per se invalid under the Fourth Amendment, but rather they ought to be subject to the Brown balancing test. you
4: going to answer my question? Would that one be invalid or not?
1: It would depend upon the circumstances. We I could, gave
4: you the circumstances. It's a general roadblock. They stop everybody who comes along uh, simply for the purpose of asking, "Sir or madam, have you seen a crime committed within the last six months?"
1: I think th- there would be. What other
4: circumstances th- do you need? Whether it's raining or not?
1: No. It, it,
4: okay. Now, can I you give me a yes or no. Is that good or bad?
1: Uh, it's, in most instances, it would be bad, but okay. I, I don't know if we could foreclose a po- the possibility that there might be some circumstances where such a roadblock would be reasonable. For example, let's assume that uh, in, in some area of some city that there's just rampant lawlessness because of a blackout or whatever, and there are hundreds of crimes Uh, Committed, and uh, the police might want to canvass the neighborhood, but nobody wants to be seen talking to a police officer. So in that instance, uh, perhaps a roadblock would be set up where the police would hand each uh, motorist a piece of paper saying, you don't have to talk to me now, but here's a number, and if you know of anything that had happened uh, that was unlawful, please feel free to give us a call and we'll maintain our confidentiality. What what What
0: about a roadblock that you find in perhaps some smaller towns? Where the police just very briefly stop you and ask you to contribute to the police boys fund?
1: I'm, I'm not sure that would be a, a crime control roadblock.
0: I don't think it is.
1: Uh, 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 that, that perhaps would be valid, and that would be a better practice, of course, if the police were to simply uh, approach cars that were stopped at a stoplight or a stop sign or a toll booth.
3: If you had that kind of a roadblock, and one of the drivers just about ran into the policeman. Uh, do you think uh, that the court, the courts, would entertain the argument that well, the initial stop was invalid, therefore, running into the policeman, uh, uh, it cannot be grounds for the arrest? I, it's just a clumsy way of asking, I guess, whether whether or not there there is any kind of a causation break here, causation link problem.
1: Yeah, we that, that argument perhaps could have been made below, but it wasn't, and as, as this case comes to this court. Uh, the assumption is that if if the roadblock were invalid under the Fourth Amendment, then the subsequent arrest uh, would be as well. Even though the the, the mo- uh, Mr. lidster almost running into the police officer did provide cause, uh, that question is not presented here.
5: Mr. Feynman, may I go back to your own hypothetical of a moment ago in which? This crime has been committed, people don't want to be seen talking to the police, uh, so the police might set up a, a roadblock under those circumstances. What about the same situation in which the police say, and I suppose it would be reasonable on your hypo, that they need to talk to a lot more people than simply the ones who are driving in cars? Uh, on, on your reasoning, could the police, uh, in effect, cordon off sidewalks so that any pedestrian coming down the sidewalk would have to pass through sort of a chute at the end, and could not get through without stopping to talk to the police officer and answer questions uh, in order to get through?
1: Uh, no, Justice Souter, because pedestrians have greater Fourth Amendment rights. Uh, than motor. Well,
5: they, 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 they do in the sense that, uh, we, we recognize certain, uh, rights to stop the motorist because of the regulated nature and the highly dangerous nature, uh, of the, of, of the driving enterprise. But here we're talking about stops which bear absolutely no relation to the regulation of motor vehicles. The only reason for the stop in the case that you're defending and the only reason for the stop in my hypo is that there may be an opportunity to gather evidence from a citizen who won't come forward but would answer a question. So it seems to me that the difference between cars and pedestrians has nothing to do with the, the, the answer to my question. Well, Am I
1: wrong there? Uh I believe so, Your Honor, with respect. It it would be permissible with motorists. It wouldn't be permissible with pedestrians because motorists do not have the same expectation of freedom of movement. No, No, but the
5: justification for interfering with their freedom of movement is not the justification that's involved in this stop. You're not looking for impaired motorists. You're not checking licenses and registrations. You're simply stopping motorists because they might have seen a crime. And in the extension of your hypo, I'm talking about the pedestrian who might have seen a crime or have some evidence of it. They're in exactly the same situation. If you can stop the cars...
1: Why can't you stop the pedestrians? Again, I, I just have to rely on my prior answer. It's because vi- this Court has held that in certain, in certain situations, suspicionless roadway stops are permissible, uh, or at least subject, potentially permissible, and subject to the brown balancing test. If one Guards- has
6: a, a greater sense of privacy, walking down a main thoroughfare than being in a car, I understand the distinction between a home- or an office, but you're out there on the street, and the police could make, could, could the police could go to any particular pedestrian and say, "Could you tell me if you know anything about X crime that was committed in this neighborhood?" The, and the police could do that. That's correct.
1: Uh, the police can walk up to any pedestrian and ask questions, and that's not a seizure. Uh, under can the they make a
4: the pedestrian stop? I mean, I'm walking along, the police say, excuse me, sir, can I ask? I say, no, I'm too busy. Uh, I no. keep walking.
1: Can they arrest me for keeping on walking? No, that's Brown v. Texas. Uh, the, the police cannot do that. So but why can they do it with a car? Is that what happened here?
4: Suppose this car were in first gear as it cruised, you know, rolled up to the roadblock, and the same thing happened. The policeman said, I want to ask you, you know, sir, uh, uh, I'd like to ask you a question. I'm sorry I'm too busy. It just keeps rolling on through. Would, would he have been arrested in this roadblock
1: uh if if he st- if he rolled on through and or, or if he stopped and said i don't like he didn't stop to- at all he
4: kept rolling at a very slow speed and he just
1: told the policeman i'm sorry i'm too busy uh the The, the record doesn't reflect whether uh, any such instances happen, and that arrested, would be a close
7: He'd be arrested. pretty
1: Perhaps he would be arrested for not following <laughs> yeah. Perhaps he would be arrested for not following well, the police officer's no, no. Uh, instruction, but no, the, really Do you think the, he could
4: do the same thing with a, with a pedestrian?
1: Uh, no, no, and that's Brown v. Texas. Pedestrians cannot be seized for this purpose.
2: Well, now, the, in the Edmonds case, the court opinion said that under exigent circumstances, there could be some kind of a uh, an appropriately tailored roadblock. Do you take the position that uh, trying to find a witness was some kind of an exigent circumstance here?
1: No, our position is not that there are exigent circumstances. Our position is that this is not a general crime control roadblock. When crime- you make
7: your balance under Brown, do you — is the time that it takes to answer the officer's inquiry the relevant factor—the time you have to wait in line—if there's a big, it's a crowded street, you know, they you cause a traffic jam. You have to wait 20 minutes.
1: It's our position that it's only the time uh, that of the police, uh, motorists. So encounter. that even if, in
7: fact, the delay caused the, a bunch of people a half hour's delay, that would be irrelevant.
1: In in our, we, we, if were that question presented, we would say that that's irrelevant because that's simply endemic. That's just a a byproduct of driving. It's a byproduct
7: of the seizure of one person that you gotta wait, wait in turn to be seized yourself
1: that 's true and but what 's the, the reason why the, the police don 't want there to be a line? The police just want to talk to uh, each motorist as they 're no, driving but if by you're on a
7: busy street as they were in, in uh, I forget which suburb of Chicago this oh, was lombard in lombard you're going you 're going to tie up traffic for a while
1: yeah i, I should mention I should mention that uh, Mr. Lister at his trial uh, at page forty seven of the transcript. Uh, testified that there were only three cars in front of him. So he was stopped really for at most only a minute, which is permissible. But were there a case, as in your hypothetical, where uh, a motorist were stopped for a half an hour, we would still say that that – waiting time doesn't count, because that's really more a function of the number of vehicles on the street. And it's not really — it was not intended by the officer uh, that there be this backup. You know,
4: I, I suppose uh, part of the reasonableness inquiry has to be what alternatives were available to achieve the same objective. And why couldn't the police just have had a big sign on the side of the road, one of those, uh, you know, illuminated signs that they have now uh which said, you know, uh, please help us. Uh, looking for hit and run
1: uh, it, last
4: week, something like that. And then those people who are willing to cooperate could pull over and cooperate. And those those who want to have nothing to do with it can keep on moving.
1: That would be possible. But this court has said very clearly that a less restrictive means uh, test is not to be applied under the second.
4: I'm not applying the least res- least restrictive means test, but surely one of the one of the. Uh, factors in determining whether this was reasonable is whether you could have done uh, achieved the same objective in in some other manner
1: that's correct that is a factor and but the, these kinds of of signs or billboards it isn't like uh it just says drink budweiser or fly united airlines there's a lot of information on there and if these cars are press-
6: drivers if, if a big sign on the road when, on the highway no. when you're supposed to be looking at the road that might be a reason but there's, a, there's an aspect of this — you've repeated the police many times. And one of the worrisome things of this setup is all you need is a crime. And in major metropolitan areas, there are crimes, multiple crimes every day. Who makes the decision? The local police chief. And then after some — you can get into court. It's, it's not like the law dictates this or even the State's Attorney General, but it's in every town, the local police chief, that may have just a range of views about
1: using roadblocks. That's what the Brown Balancing Test is there for. It's there to determine what kinds of stops are reasonable and which one aren't. Now if there are some circumstances where we can imagine that we'd want to have this kind of informational checkpoint uh then a, and that's really the principal question here there ought not to be a per se rule because there are some situations and we submit that this is one of them where it makes perfect sense for the police to set up a roadblock because the physical evidence recovered from the scene was not sufficient to identify uh the perpetrator uh and the only witnesses to the crime were fellow motorists and there was really only one way or there wasn't only one way but this was a very good way of getting at them and if there are circumstances where we can imagine that we'd want to enable the police to solve crimes in this manner, then a per se rule is invalid. It ought to go through brown balancing. You, you mentioned
5: uh, that this is a good way to get at the people you want to get to. Is there any indication that there, anything of value was obtained uh, in the investigation of this crime in this particular roadblock? Or do you have any information across the uh, from, from broader statistics across the nation about the effectiveness of doing this?
1: I have no statistics from across the nation, and I'd have to go outside the record uh, to answer your question. Uh, the well. Lombard Police asked the local news to actually cover the roadblock, uh, which they did, and somebody who was watching the local news uh, realized that a gentleman in her apartment complex had recently had damage to the right Headlight of his uh, F-150. If,
5: if,
2: the police had,
5: if the police had asked the local news to, to broadcast a two-minute clip of a police officer saying, "We're having trouble finding the perpetrator of this crime. Please come forward," wouldn't it have gotten the same result?
1: Uh, well, we have to. Uh, I would, we're, we're I mean, <laughs> they wouldn't they may not have done that. The roadblock is
5: much
4: more fun to cover.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Justice Scalia makes a good point, and I, I'd like to reserve the remainder of my time.
4: Very well,
0: Mr. Feinerman. Uh, Ms. Miller we'll hear from you.
8: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, the reason a news story covering Medicine. a, uh, a hit-and-run fatality, as in this case, is not as effective, for are a number of reasons. First of all, statistically, the majority of Americans don't watch local news. More importantly, there is significant value, as, as has long been recognized when police deal with pedestrians and approach them seeking their assistance in solving crimes. There is significant value to having a police officer approach someone in a one-on-one manner in an effort to solve a crime. First of all, the, the approach impresses on people who are otherwise very busy the importance Important. of the matter before them and that this may be worth devoting their time. The police officer's one-on-one approach can advise the person, in addition, that what you saw might be significant even though you didn't see an accident.
4: But Can, can you stop the person? i mean put it in a pedestrian context do you think a police officer can insist that the person stop stand there and listen to his pitch
8: no absolutely not justice scalia there is a okay. long his, just as there is a long historic distinction between cars and homes there's a long historic distinction between cars and pedestrians and the reason as a practical matter you have to have a very very brief seizure here to protect the life and limb of the police officer while he tries to make this approach that's not needed when you're approaching pedestrians. Why,
5: why does the distinction you've mentioned it and, and Mr. Feynman mentioned it, why does the distinction between cars and pedestrians apply in a case in which the, the justification for making that distinction, regulation, uh, risk of impaired driving, uh, does not apply?
8: Is, what, what is relevant is what this Court has long recognized is, is the difference in your reasonable expectations of freedom of movement between people in cars and pedestrians. No, but the my sidewalk.
5: expectation of freedom of movement in the car is that, yeah, the police can stop to, for a sobriety checkpoint, and I'll assume they can, they can stop to, to check my, my license and the registration of the car. But I also assume that they can't, and, and, you know, barring today the result of today's case. I, I, I'm assuming that they they can't stop me for for other reasons, barring some really exigent circumstance. Uh, and if that expectation is reasonable, and I think it has been at least up until today, then I think my expectation is is the same as the pedestrian's expectation, barring. The, the, the regulatory authority of, of uh, exercise, the regulatory authority, which is not an in, in issue here.
8: Justice Sitter, the essential command of the Fourth Amendment is reasonableness, and there's nothing in the Fourth Amendment that says stops for sobriety or stops to see if you have any aliens in your trunk are inherently reasonable and nothing else is Is a balancing test as this court has long recognized and an important part of that balance is the expectations that the individual brings to it and the expectation of the individual behind the wheel is that there are a number of times that i will come into contact with police officers and i will need to stop i'm highly regulated i'm highly restricted and i am engaged in a privilege of driving on the public roadways. Walking is not a privilege. Driving on the public roadways is. You're, you're so saying that because
5: in- they might have observed or, or observed evidence in the exercise of their privilege, that that would be a regulatory basis for stopping them in the cars, whereas there wouldn't be any such basis for the pedestrians?
8: The regulatory need for it is that there's — you have a very common police practice here, and one that we expect the police to do if a, a fatality has been committed is to try to find witnesses who were there at the time. The only way that principle And we understand worked,
5: that when, when there's something pretty contemporaneous between the stopping and the, and, the, and the accident. That's what I had in mind with exigency. But do we, is, is it such a common practice that a week later or two weeks later?
8: It is extremely common for these types of informational checkpoints. There's two different types of checkpoints. There is the one that's trying to catch the person right after the crime's been committed. But the witness checkpoints are quite routinely done, either 24 hours or very routinely a week after, because people are creatures of habit, and they tend to drive the same roads at the same times in the same days. And so it's very common. A A number of federal uh, checkpoints have been done exactly like this. They've been done a week after a child's been abducted. In the Elizabeth Smart case, it was a week later. Um, the federal checkpoints that I'm familiar with were done exactly exactly a week later. And you try to go at the exact same time because that is eminently sensible for police officers. If you want to look for the witnesses, you want to find people who are most likely to have been there at the same no, time. Have they been successful?
4: Is your knowledge of these things uh profound enough that you can say how successful they've been? Yeah, I, I can't you — know of you any that have been successful? Yes,
8: absolutely. The, the Park Police did one uh, — the Federal Park Police did one here in the Washington, D.C. area a couple years ago that found four eyewitnesses to a hit-and-run fatality. But also, the ability to measure success here, we're not talking about immediately removing a drunk driver from the road or actually finding the alien. Solving — your success would be defined as you solve solved the crime. And solving a crime is not a linear project. It involves a lot of information coming you in from a different — You couldn't —
6: do this to try to get the perpetrator that would clearly be edmund and there seems to be something odd about saying police you can't have a roadblock in a neighborhood where you think that's likely the suspect is living but you can if you say what you're looking for is not the suspect but witnesses
8: Uh, justice ginsburg uh, two responses first of all there are edmund leaves open that there are at least some circumstances when you can do this uh, maybe it approaches exigency but where you can do these types of checkpoints to catch someone uh, the language there was a fleeing dangerous criminal who was going by a particular route so it's not that doesn't seem to be foreclosed in all circumstances but the reason it makes a big difference for purposes of fourth amendment principles there's actually three reasons why looking for witnesses is better and should be more consistent with the fourth amendment than what the issue in Edmund. and that is there there's a difference between there's just a practical difference between police taking actions, seizing people first and looking for a crime to go with them, which is what was going on in Edmund, or having a specific crime and looking to solve it in the most sensible and reasonable manner that police officers do. And well, following Justice
3: question, which is the easier of the two cases, the one we have here or a hypothetical case in which they have a description of the hit-and-run driver and they stop everybody to look in the car to see if the driver meets the description? Which is the easier of the two cases to sustain?
8: Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, assuming that this is not one, it's not right after the crime that I have the distribution. About a week later, the...
3: everything else is
8: I think this Court's I I think both of them are different from Edmund, but I do think this Court's doctrines establish why the witness approach is is more — is less intrusive on Fourth Amendment interests for for three reasons. One is that there is a self-incrimination component, self-protection component to the Fourth Amendment, and that has been very important in the drug testing cases. It was central to the resolution of the Ferguson decision. I wonder if you'd answer just
7: Kennedy's question, which is the easier case?
8: I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Pardon me? We would like to have them both sustained, quite frankly, and we don't it's think just they're, they're exactly covered Which
9: is easier to say is consistent with the Fourth Amendment? Right. There, which is, I mixed mm-hmm. up with easier because I don't know. Okay. I think, which is the, the two cases that he gave, and mm-hmm. which do you think it's easier for you to win your argument?
8: Right. And you and I, think, I, I think the witness one is easier for three reasons, and one is because the Fourth Amendment has the self-protection principle, which is not implicated when you're, you're, you're looking for witnesses, the checkpoint. In is other not, words,
9: this case is easier.
8: This, yes, the witness checkpoint. Uh, looking uh, for I information checkpoint this, I'm sorry. This
9: case is easier. Yes, this
8: case is easier. But, but there's two other reasons besides the self-protection principle. One is, as a practical matter, one of the balancing test factors in Brown versus Texas is the level of anxiety when a police officer approaches you and says, even if it's permissible. I want to know if you're doing something wrong. Do you not have a driver's license? Are you drunk? That's — there's a little more anxiety there when a police of, than when a police officer comes and says, I would like your help. Someone was killed here. And
4: what's the third reason?
8: And, and the fourth — Amendment
4: is an anxiety thing? My goodness. — is... <laughs> That is a fact. It's
7: all, it's that, all
8: very con- — That cuts
4: against
7: you in this case, though, doesn't it? This? this was at midnight.
8: No. no. Part of the Brown versus Texas balancing factors is, is, is of, one of the things that's been mentioned is the level of anxiety. And the reason that you don't have roving stops but you're allowed to have checkpoints is when you see other people being stopped around you, even if they want to know if I have around, a pending question about the, the
3: third reason. I What's the, the, the third reason? The
8: thir- oh, thank you. The, the third reason is, is, a, is a, there's a sort of a practical limitation on the use of these checkpoints when police are not allowed to use it to do their run-of-the-mill business. Their job is to find crimes and criminals. Edmund was a checkpoint to find crimes and criminals that we didn't know about when instead all that 's being done here is this is an adjunct to a, adapting to the roadway context the normal investigative processes of police officers. you, you don 't have that abuse You so this way, is a
3: built in limitation on the frequency of its use
8: It is and Justice Kennedy, of you also asked about doctrinal limitations uh, in this court 's cases and in Atwater versus city of Lago Vista, the exact same argument was made dealing with misdemeanor arrests, and this court 's decision there specifically relied upon the good sense and political accountability of police, for the same reason that we know police don't arrest for every crime infraction that — vehicle infraction, code infraction that they find. A lot of police chiefs are arrested, and checkpoints are a great equalizer, especially these kind, because the location is dictated by you when the crime elected. occurred.
4: Do you say arrested or elected? A lot so, of police chiefs are
8: — Oh, I hope I said elected. Um, okay. I think <laughs> I said arrested. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice.
0: Thank you, Ms. Millett. Uh,
10: Mr. Ramso, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, the mass, suspicionless seizure of innocent citizens for the purpose of investigating ordinary criminal wrongdoing without exigent circumstances is a violation of the Fourth Amendment, and Indianapolis versus Edmond is the controlling precedent. It
9: sounds a little colorful, but, but in my own mind, I'm thinking that this is asking people to help with crime investigation and to spend 10 seconds listening to the request. Now, uh, I was delayed two hours, not two hours, but like two minutes anyway or three minutes this morning coming in for the last couple of days because they have some tree pruning equipment, all right? So maybe they could put that on the sidewalk and not delay me. But uh, I don't mind. I did actually mind, but I mean, <laughs> but, but uh, you see, it's not, what their argument is, and that's at least for me what I'd like you to address is. This is not much of a, uh, of a demand on people to stop for 10 seconds when they're trying to find out somebody who killed someone. And, and uh, we just want you to listen for 10 seconds. Now, why, why is that such an unreasonable thing for the police to ask the public to do? Nobody has to take the flyer. They don't even have to help.
10: Well, Justice Breyer, by definition, this is a seizure.
9: I, I don't care about the I'm asking you. I understand that. I'm asking you why it's unreasonable. That's the word in the Fourth Amendment. And I tried to make it as as reasonable-sounding as I could. Maybe somebody else could do better. But I want your response to my effort to make this sound very reasonable. That's what I'm interested in, your response. It
10: remains unreasonable for a number of matters. It's the aggregate of the circumstances, then, by which other innocent persons could be seized. It's the fact that the gravity of the public concern in this particular event is far less than the reasonableness reasonableness factors that have been used in SITs. It's far less than the immigration factor that
9: was found in Martinez versus Fuerte. I don't really want to hear cases so much. I want to hear in common sense why this isn't a reasonable thing to do. I'm not saying You even have to convince me to win your case. I'm just saying that I'd like to know why in ordinary common-sense English, this isn't the most reasonable thing in the world. Now, I'm, I'm now overstating it, so you'll be sure to give me an answer. It's midnight. You're on a road where you
10: do not expect to be confronted by a police officer. You're waiting in line for several minutes as various other cars are evidently being interrogated some are being transferred to secondary staging areas. The anxiety builds, and you arrive at the front of the roadblock to be questioned about where you were last week. Personal indications. What have you seen? You feel compelled to I didn't to think answer. that
2: was the evidence. I thought they were given a flyer saying, if you uh, read this and see if you observed anything that could help us find the hit-run driver.
10: Detective Vassal testified that they were stopped, given a flyer, but also asked if they had been in the area last week and if they had seen anything unusual. That second um, phase was relatively interrogational, although field interrogational. Nevertheless, it is somewhat intrusive on what are considered some of our privacy.
0: Suppose that— there is a roadblock, but uh, the only purpose of the roadblock is the police are stopping people to see if they'll contribute to the police boys fund. The same thing, exactly the same thing happens with that roadblock as happened with your client. He comes up, almost hits the policeman, smells alcohol on his breath and so forth. He's charged with drunken driving and is convicted. Does he have a Fourth Amendment claim?
10: Well, Mr. Chief Justice, it would be a seizure, so the Fourth Amendment is implicated. However, applying the Edmund analysis, the programmatic purpose of that seizure not being in the investigation or detection of crime, I would submit it would not be a violation of the Fourth Amendment. So
0: they can hold them up for two hours if they're collecting from the police boys' fund, but they can't hold them up for 10 or 15 seconds if they're trying
4: to solve a crime? Or hold them up for no reason at all, just for a lark. Hey, let's hold up a bunch of people. <laughs> you, you say that passes the Fourth Amendment test, but if but, but this very reasonable investigation does not? That
10: can't I be right. W- I would uh, submit, Justice Scalia, that if you were to stop a person and seize them for no reason whatsoever, that that would not survive a Fourth Amendment analysis. Ten to 15 seconds to deliver some funds and put them in a can would certainly be reasonable for that uh, beneficent non-crime control purpose. Two hours would certainly Are
6: you exceed. saying it would be okay to have a roadblock to collect for the policeman's benevolent fund?
10: A, a compulsive collection would be questionable. That would seem to be a tax. I think if but we, we endorsed it. your view that they
7: can stop for the Chief Justice's purpose, there's going to be a m- massive change in the way these
10: organizations raise money. <laughs> <laughs> It, it is often difficult to say no when, when uh, a fireman is uh, seeking some funds. However, it is certainly not the detection or investigation of crime, and the analysis that would take place there would be different. And certainly two hours to put money in a can would suggest that the scope and duration of that stop was far beyond what was reasonable.
4: Maybe, maybe your, your response to Justice Breyer's question, um, um, I'm not sure that reasonableness for Fourth Amendment purposes is the same as reasonableness in general. Uh, Do you think it would be, in general, if you're not talking about the Fourth Amendment, an unreasonable thing for a policeman to knock on your door and say, excuse me, sir, we're investigating a crime. We really need your help. Do you mind if I I come in and ask you a couple of questions just uh, to help us solve this crime? Do you think that's reasonable? In, in, in a sense, I guess it is.
10: It is uh, considered a voluntary encounter to the extent that if you choose to open the door and engage in that conversation, uh, the, the Fourth Amendment isn't even implicated there.
4: No, the, the person says, unreasonably says no, and the policeman comes in anyway.
10: That would uh, be a violation of the Fourth Amendment. Even though
4: it isn't really the policeman that's being unreasonable in the general sense. It seems to me it's quite unreasonable for the homeowner to refuse to cooperate at all with the police in the in this solving of it. Let's assume it's a major crime. That seems to me unreasonable. But even so, the policeman is not allowed to come into the home.
10: That's correct, Your Honor. And there's the difference between the voluntary consensual encounter and what we have in this case was clearly involuntary. They even had an audit. And so
4: also here, it might be very unreasonable for the person not to want to cooperate, and it might be quite reasonable for the policemen to seek the cooperation, but that doesn't necessarily answer the Fourth Amendment question.
10: I would suggest that uh, the fact that an innocent motorist would feel that he or she was unreasonable by not cooperating suggests the compulsive aspects of this uh, scenario make it more of a violation of the Fourth Amendment and more unreasonable to that extent.
6: Mr. Ramza, did I understand your argument to be that if the crime had been a child abduction that this kind of roadblock to try to get evidence would be permissible
10: in in a general sense yes of course there would be other factors involved but child abductions generally fall within the exigent circumstance analysis clearly uh, there would likely have to be further evaluation of the facts behind why they why, if, if,
6: if it's the danger involved and wanting to save a life that we hope is still in being, why isn't it the same thing if you're trying to get evidence about a hit-and-run person who kills people on the highway?
10: Well, first off, the child abduction is a continuing crime to the extent that the need for action in order to prevent the uh, possible future or immediate harm to that child makes that an exigent circumstance by itself. So you think this would be
4: different if this was a serial hit-and-run killer, right? He he, he does one a week. Then then you think it would be a different situation and maybe they
10: could conduct the, uh, the roadblock well as we had in sits with the imminent hazard of drunk drivers if there were such a thing as a serial hit-and-run driver uh the imminency the exigency would sub be suggested within that hypothetical and so i believe that it would be more reasonable under that circumstance but well, what, what about
6: a rape murder that you know that that's not just a hypothetical case
10: that had rape, recently occurred
6: a, a rape murder Recently occurred, and the police set up a roadblock to get evidence.
10: Again, if there was, a, if it was very fresh, and the more fresh it is, the more reasonable it tends to become under simply an exigency analysis. The fresher the crime, the more believable. So would, this, would
6: this case have been different if it had been the next day rather than a week later?
10: If they had some independent evidence to suggest that the uh, person was still in the area, that may have been a different set of facts. Uh, Commonwealth versus Burns was an example of a informational roadblock where they had independent evidence to believe that the murderer was still in the area. Uh, I so, believe if you it was need a little,
6: later. if you have a little evidence, then you can seek more but if you had none you can't try to get a lead by this technique
10: uh, justice ginsburg i believe the exigency of the circumstances would certainly authorize more uh, a, a possible informational roadblock uh, under those circumstances
2: did this is it the case that in this very uh situation we're talking about it led to information Uh, about the person responsible?
10: Justice O'Connor, my understanding is that the roadblock itself was entirely ineffective. had zero effectiveness in seeking to obtain information regarding this event. In fact, uh, I believe that um, we've just heard that it was the television which uh, led to some information, which is a standard police practice, does not implicate the Fourth Amendment does not uh, require any seizure of innocent persons. But it requires a roadblock. I believe that uh, in the the television context, there's no roadblock at issue, and no one's even compelled oh, to watch but the, the television.
0: Maybe television won't cover just a, a, a blurb put out the, by the police, where they will cover a roadblock.
10: That may or may not be true, Your Honor. But there are duller than watching a
4: wall of, of wanted posters. You know you. How now, for our listeners, we're going to pan
10: the wanted posters at the post office. I mean, that's that, that that not going to sell. Who's going to sponsor that? That would certainly be uh, very boring to, to watch wanted posters. Uh, certainly, if they were. Repetition. But if, if
5: they hired someone like Justice Scalia to go on the screen and describe <laughs> it, I've... big audience.
7: Can I ask you a question about the facts of this case, please? The Blue Belief describes it as a a roadblock roadblock set up in the evening, and as I understand it, the crime was at 12.15 a.m., which I interpret to be midnight. It was a midnight crime, and I thought the roadblock was at midnight. And I wonder, how long did it last? Was it started in the
10: evening and lasted several hours, or was it just... To be frank, searching the record, it's, it's relatively unclear. My understanding is uh, 90 minutes to two hours. And it, w-
7: it was, though, in the dark at, the, at, the, at night, not during the day.
10: Yes, it was at night.
7: And I had to also don't understand if they handed something to read, how could you read it in the, ni- at the, in the dark?
10: That would also be equally as difficult, Your Honor. Does the
7: record explain that they did hand something legible to the person who used a flashlight, or what, what was the practice?
10: Logic would seem to dictate that by the time the person received the flyer and drove away, they would again be a- away from the scene of the event before they even read the flyer, which also makes it somewhat ineffective in that regard.
7: But did they — were there something they asked to read before they left, or just
10: left with them to drive away with? I just don't understand what happened, to tell you the truth. Well, to, to take — To take the 10 to 15 seconds Detective Vassal describes as the duration of handing the flyer, asking two questions and obtaining two answers, it would seem that reading the flyer would have had to have occurred sometime after the seizure. Um,
6: It wasn't very much on the flyer, was it?
10: Well, it did have some. It it indicated the — We have it uh,
6: someplace, don't we?
10: Yes, it is in the joint appendix. And it's located on page nine of the joint appendix. And there is, there is a great amount of detail that's in that flyer. Uh, certainly would suggest it would be difficult for one to read the entirety of it, understand uh, the purpose for which they were even being stopped that evening, which is another point. Uh, there was no advance signs, Un- unlike sobriety checkpoints, where as you're arriving and even before you have contact with, with the police officers, There's a sign that says, uh, warning, sobriety checkpoint ahead. At least you're putting on notice what it is that's taking place in front of you. Here, people are waiting in line, having no idea what it is. That
0: happens in a lot of other contexts, too. You can be driving on a highway. All of a sudden, the thing comes to a stop. What's the matter? Is it an accident? Are they having one lane repair? And you just don't know. I mean, that's part of the condition of driving.
10: Well, certainly we have to expect that we'll be stopped uh, more often than anyone would wish in that context. But it, it's quite different when, you are, uh, when there's 6 to 12 emergency vehicles there. And as you get closer and closer, you see this encounter taking place before you with every single motorist in front of you. That raises the anxiety of even uh, the most innocent citizen, I would suggest. May I ask another question about the the facts of the case? Reading the flyer, it's
7: something you could have handed to a pedestrian, too, who might have been at the scene. Does the record show whether they did hand this flyer to pedestrians who might have been walking by at the same time a week after the
10: accident? Well, my understanding of this location, being familiar with the area, is that it's a major thoroughfare with multiple lanes. It would be highly unlikely at midnight uh, that any pedestrian would or should be walking on the shoulder of this uh Oh there are no sidewalks there? No. There are rarely sidewalks in, in our town, unfortunately. Oh.
5: Mr. Ramsey, there's something I'd like you to comment on. The the Illinois Supreme Court was was concerned about the the effect of of, uh, of of this practice in in effect in, in opening the door to stops all the time. They said, you know, there are loads of crimes, and if it's justified here, it will be justified in other cases and so on. And there have been some questions from the bench to that effect. One answer to that might be uh that under the law as it stands now, uh the police can conduct sobriety checkpoints and we will assume that they can they can make license and registration checks and things like that. Uh, so the, the, the police already have an opportunity, to, to put it bluntly, to abuse their right to stop if they want to do it. Is there any indication that there is this kind of abuse going on? And hence, is there any reason to believe that the abuse would be greater if this practice passed muster than it is under the existing law?
10: Well, I believe that law enforcement uh, is always appreciative of any techniques uh, or tools that they're allowed to use for investigatory purposes. But what, what do we
5: know empirically? What do we know? What is, has, there, has there been an indication of abuse? Is there a reason to believe that this invitation, this tool, would be abused more than the tools that they
10: now have? I would believe that it would be more, uh, more likely for abuse if this court were to suggest that these type of roadblocks were a valid investigative tool,
5: but why, why?
10: Because it would simply number one, it is it makes for great publicity for law enforcement to use these roadblocks. Uh, they feel that it's. Uh, it makes for great effect.
5: publicity to to have uh, sobriety checkpoints. That's one reason why they have them.
10: And. I agree. Even though statistically roadblock sobriety checkpoints tend to be far less effective than saturation patrols, uh, most police chiefs comment that they don't get the type of publicity they receive from a roadblock that they get from saturation patrols. Suppose they had
4: done the same thing they did here, the same thing, except that in addition to giving them the flyer and asking them about the, what happened, you know, were you here a week before, they, it was also a check of driver registration.
10: I would suggest the programmatic purpose, the primary programmatic purpose employing Edmund would still remain that this was for the purpose of crime detection and investigation, not for simply checking licenses. Uh, the same- Oh, they're
4: actually checking licenses. I mean, they're, they they're really doing it. And, and they, I, they pick up some people who don't, don't have licenses. But while they're at it, they, uh, kill two birds with one stone. And you say it would make it bad because its primary purpose was the other.
10: Justice Scalia, I would suggest the programmatic purpose, uh, which would be a question of intent, would still remain that it was truly for the investigation of this particular crime. And certainly the duration and the scope of the seizure would exceed the license check when questions were being asked about whether you had been here last week, whether you had seen anything regarding a hit run or any other crime. And that would seem to exceed even the um, suggested uh, appropriateness of a roadblock for license checks in Prowse. At
4: that, that incremental point of time, you're really playing with a, an inconsequential uh, uh, inconsequential uh, uh, impingement upon the person's time.
6: Mr. Ramsell, do you know, going back to Justice Suter's question, whether in the aftermath of SITs there have been an increase in uh, sobriety, Checkpoints in this country.
10: I know that uh, a far greater number have been reported since sits, but I cannot confess to knowing what the statistics or the record keeping was prior to sits. But it has it has now crept into uh, the American psyche that roadblocks are a, um, a regular did, way of do life. Do they
6: exist in Michigan anymore? These sobriety checkpoints?
10: No. When uh, when the case was remanded to Michigan, Michigan. Found under their own state constitution that this, that a sobriety checkpoint still remained to be an unreasonable violation of the search and seizure clause of their own constitution, so they do not have them. Now, in this case, what we have is, we have a a very stale event. In fact, the facts do not even suggest that the driver was perhaps even negligent in how the accident occurred. We have a, a bicyclist on a major thoroughfare at midnight uh, in a place where it's highly unusual to to find pedestrians in a dark area and there's been no indication that the driver was at fault other than failing to remain at the scene of the
9: accident that's pretty serious isn't it called hit and run it's hit and run as all, right, so all that's at stake is that it was a hit and run the guy's dead all right so uh, so uh, now what is that to do with the reasonableness of this I'm well, not, not asking you facetiously, because I think maybe you think you want to tie it in, and I just want you to do it.
10: Well, the consequences are very serious. However, hit and run uh, would also fall within dinging the car in the grocery parking lot next to you and failing to remain at the scene. These are single events. So you mean that it might be reasonable to do it for some serious crimes, but not for less serious? I would suggest that they cannot be done for any crime. Except in exigent circumstances, which we do not have here, this is a stale event. So, even
0: if, if, even if we were to say a carjacking where there was a fatality, if it's
10: stale, it can't be done. Uh, Yes, Your Honour, I would, uh, I would respectfully say that, under the analysis in Edmonds, there is a lack of exigency. Um, Edmonds suggests that, but for the emergency circumstances of an imminent terrorist attack. Otherwise, that would be considered uh, a violation of the Fourth Amendment. This is a single accident. It, it does not fall within the magnitude of any of the previous uh, issues that
9: have been brought before the Court. Now, you seem to be arguing the same thing, that other things being equal, if you lose on your other point, you could only do it in a serious but not non-serious. Is that, what you're, is that the point you're making? And if so, I want to know what the line is. Well, uh,
10: the line is exigency. And exigency meaning there was no, uh, there's an immediate hazard on the roadway, which was what seemed to justify sobriety checkpoints in sits, that there would have been an effectiveness to removing then-hazardous drivers and preventing the potential for future injury uh, to life and limb. This is a post-event, non-exigent roadblock. Uh the facts, nevertheless, don't have the gravity of the public concern in the Brown versus Texas.
0: Uh, well, what, if, what if you've got a, a license number uh and for, for for a serious crime that was committed, say, an hour ago? Uh
10: can can you then conduct a uh, this sort of program? I would su- submit yes, that you could under that circumstance. Number one, you could tailor the roadblock substantially less. You have the exigency because it is a fresh pursuit analysis. Uh, you certainly wouldn't need to pull over every car and question them if you had a license um, plate number to work from. And so it would certainly even be capable of being more sufficiently tailored so that those who are uh, admittedly innocent are less likely to have their uh, liberties interfered with.
0: Well, what if, you, what if you just had the in- information that it's, it's a black
10: Ford SUV? And it happened one hour ago. Um, I believe under that set of circumstances, the exigency would suggest there would be a potential for a reasonable checkpoint tailored in scope and duration with sufficient guidelines in in place. In fact, in this particular checkpoint, we have virtually no guidelines in place. We have uh, a field officer who testifies that what he did was to ask some questions. There's no indication as to why other persons were sent to secondary staging areas. We do not have any guidelines so that if a motorist had said, yes, I was here last week and, yes, I think I have some information, we have no guidelines for those field officers as to what to do and how to treat that motorist and how to detain that person.
4: You know anybody that's challenged these things who, uh, for any reason other than the exclusionary rule? This case wouldn't be here except for the fact that your client during the stop was found to be uh, uh, driving under the influence. Uh, had that not happened, uh, don't you think there's zero chance that anyone would have cared enough, would have felt uh, beset upon enough by the police to, uh, to bring some action to stop this Gestapo-like uh, uh, activity?
10: I do believe there are.
4: It's really just the exclusionary rule driving, uh, driving
10: this case. Respectfully, Your Honor, I do, there, I do believe there are people who care, and there are people who care about our right to be let alone, our right of free passage.
0: Well, if people in Lombard care about it, they can tell the police to stop doing it. Uh,
10: I certainly would hope that they would also exercise their right to let them know uh, that they dislike these roadblocks as much as perhaps others
3: um, in more intellectual pursuits. Uh, but — are there indications uh, nationwide that the public uh, makes objection to roadblocks other than the person that's caught for drunk driving? Uh,
10: I would suggest that most most persons are not uh, pleased by roadblocks. I believe that most people feel that they do reflect on an invasion of their privacy and liberty. I mean, is there evidence of that? Uh, I I cannot uh, cite any polling that's been taken one way or the other that would really flesh that out. Here, we have far less than the drug interdiction that was rejected in Edmond. We have a single accident. We have uh, far less than the concern about protecting our national borders, as we had in Martinez versus Fuerte, and certainly not the imminency of the hazard that was found in SITS. There's, frankly, no empirical or actual data to even support that this roadblock will advance the interest. And by the fact that nothing was advanced in this particular event suggests that even in a balancing test, we don't have the sufficiency, the gravity of the public concern, nor do we have any indication of any degree to which the seizure would advance the public interest. This is more akin to Prowse, where the Court found that the, the likelihood of finding an unlicensed motorist versus the likely numbers of persons that will be stopped, was so substantial that that it was insufficient. It
0: was random stops, though, wasn't it?
10: It was random stops. However, the effectiveness was mentioned uh, as one of the factors. Uh, And there were certainly reasonable alternatives that were suggested uh, that could have avoided the random stop scenario. And here we have admittedly innocent drivers as well. With no escape route, so a person couldn 't even avoid the um, the compulsory stop and questioning. I would also submit that this analysis, uh, if a, if found uh, appropriate here, would equally allow for the stop of pedestrians at uh, on the sidewalk. Uh, it would allow the police to circle an office building and have the persons run through the grant the gamut of a brief questioning before they were allowed to leave an office building. And it would be very unmanageable and unworkable um, to find an appropriate balancing test, even though uh, I would submit that one thing the court needs to do is to, of course, let law enforcement know in advance what will be acceptable conduct on their part and that it would be inappropriate to allow for a case-by-case, fact-sensitive analysis Based on the plethora of crimes that could potentially lead to it, the uh, geographic area in a small rural town, uh, the rural police chief may find roadblocks or may find their most serious crime to be the stealing of a purse and, therefore, roadblock of some form justifiable there, where that same roadblock in an urban setting would be found to be unreasonable and unjustifiable. And uh, certainly those politically accountable officials that feel that their citizenry are more favorable to roadblocks may be encouraged to allow them to occur more often. Thank, Thank you. you, Mr. Amsell. uh
0: Mr. Feinerman, you have two minutes remaining.
1: This court and admin found that narcotics, check, narcotics checkpoints are so obnoxious to core Fourth Amendment values that a per se rule of invalidity was justified. And the principal question here is whether informational checkpoints present the same Fourth Amendment dangers uh, that general crime control checkpoints present. And the answer to that is no. Uh, and in order to answer that, we, we have to figure out what the hallmarks are of a crime control checkpoint, and we suggest that there are at least two. The first is that it's the purpose of the checkpoint to incriminate the motorist, as opposed to the situation in Lombard, which was simply the police asking for help. And that distinction makes a difference under the Fourth Amendment for several reasons. The first has to do with privacy. At a general crime control checkpoint, the police are trying to learn something about you, whether you've committed a wrongdoing. Whereas in an informational checkpoint, they're just asking for help. Somebody died here last week. Could you help us find the perpetrator? There's also a difference in terms of jeopardy. At a general crime control checkpoint, you may be interrogated, detained, arrested, prosecuted, and possibly jailed. Whereas at an informational checkpoint, uh, again, you're just being asked for help. And that's a critical distinction that this Court drew in Ferguson between the drug test uh, that was invalidated in Ferguson and the drug testing programs that were upheld in Skinner, Acton, and in Von Robb. Uh, there's also an indignity element to a general crime control checkpoint. You're being, it's, it's a bit of an indignity to be suspected as being a potential lawbreaker. Whereas in an informational checkpoint, there's really no impingement on the dignity. You're just, again, being treated as an ally of the police and being asked for help. And, in fact, it's an act of responsible citizenship to provide help in that kind of situation. The second distinction is that a general crime control checkpoint, the police are simply trolling for hitherto undiscovered crimes. Whereas in an informational checkpoint, they're investigating a known specific crime. And that, too, makes a difference. Uh, there's a difference between, as Ms. Millette pointed out, there's a difference between knowing a crime and finding the criminal and then simply rounding up a bunch of potential criminals and trying to peg a crime on them. Uh, and that's important not only for... Uh, the fact that we're uncomfortable with general, general surveillance, but also it's a traditional police function. When a crime happens, police ought to return to the scene of the crime and find witnesses. Thank, Thank
0: you. Thank you, Mr. Feinerman. The case is submitted.
6: The Honorable Court is now adjourned until Monday next at 10 o'clock.